Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, March 2nd. We're jumping across levels on today's show as we had a result near and dear to my heart. My Michigan Wolverines go on the road to TCU and they knock off the number one men's college tennis team in the country for one. Of course, I have to offer my thoughts on that result on today's show. And normally we would save a result like that for our deciding point episodes on the Great Shot podcast, our weekly recaps of all the action happening across the college tennis world. We talk about the women Tuesday nights live on YouTube, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We talk about the men Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Unfortunately, this week, seemingly fitting, of course, when the Wolverines earned their biggest win, perhaps in program history, we pre-recorded our episodes as super producer Daniel Westoff has headed back to Louisville. His sister officially going to have the baby this weekend. And so obviously, again, we send our love to the Westoff family, but we had to pre-record those episodes. I wouldn't be able to talk about this mission result if I didn't on today's show. So I hope all of you listeners looking for some pro tennis coverage will indulge me with that to start the show. But then, of course, I want to set the scene for our two WTA events happening this week in Mexico and France. In my opinion, the Mexico draw is a bit better. Certainly some names near and dear to our hearts here at Cracked Rackets, some names we've been monitoring over the course of the past 12 months, six months, whatever time frame you want to look at. But then I want to talk about the action in France as well, as we have no ATP events this week, no ATP challengers. We're all getting set for the action to begin in the Sunshine Swing, Indian Wells starting next week. Of course, Miami coming up after that. We'll have all of the preview coverage for those events coming up on our podcast over the next few days. But with that in mind, again, today's focus, I want to talk about Michigan over TCU and the two WTA events. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family who are going to get matches of the day again every day throughout the course of the 2022 Indian Wells and 2022 Miami Open. I should say every day up through the semifinals when at that point we all know the matches we're talking about. So if I did that, I wouldn't have anything for these mini breaks. Point being, bonus coverage for all of you Cracked Rackets Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to support our efforts here at CR, you can learn more about becoming a Patreon member on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, last but certainly not least, the power behind these podcasts day in, day out comes from the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point. Hopefully, you all checked out yesterday's edition of Tennis Point. Tuesday. It was a fun one. Nate Walrath and I named our top five performers of 2022 thus far. You can find my top fives on my Twitter account. You can also hear why those were my top fives on that episode. And of course, for all the latest and greatest equipment, 
found in the tennis world. Check it out at our friends at tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 when you inevitably make a purchase. Not only will you get 15% off all sale items, you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Tennis-point.com. That promo code is CR15. With all of that said, let's get into it. And ugh. I don't know if for copyright purposes we're allowed to play the victors, but just know as I'm speaking through this part of the podcast, the victors, of course, the sound and song of the Michigan Wolverines, our anthem, uh, is playing in my head as I go through this because this is arguably the biggest win of the Steinberg era and a massive moment for this University of Michigan team. And I just want to set the scene for these Michigan Wolverines in particular, what this nucleus has accomplished and you know, again, a, a bit of a backstory for all of you listeners. I was at Michigan 2013 to 2017, played club tennis there. We were able to foster and build a very close relationship with the Michigan men's tennis team. And, you know, Coach Steinberg was kind enough to send us some coaches before we headed off to nationals. And he hooked us up with gear before the event. After we won the thing, I brought the trophy to their Illinois match. Not going to say if, you know, again, I, well, I was over 21, so I can say it. I was not sober when I went to that match. I brought the trophy. I screamed. I think I was like, we brought it home. Now you guys bring it home. Something like that. I don't remember exactly. Not because I was that belligerent, just because I don't remember the exact phrasing, or maybe I do, and I'm just embarrassed to say it. Point being, after that, you know, again, Coach Steinberg has been has been a mentor to me. He's been far too kind, far too tolerant of all of my nonsense. And I know early on in particular, some of the things I said, you know, he would always hear back to it and said, who is this Gruskin kid? And he'd say, no, he's got good intentions. And he's always had my back. So, of course, I have his. And look, what he's meant to this Michigan program, this is not meant to be disrespectful to the Bruce Burke era, but he has, you know, built a new culture at Michigan. It is now, that is a reflection of his personality, of his characteristics, just the energy they play with, the fight this group has, the spirit. It's everything you appreciate as a college tennis fan. And obviously I'm biased. There are other teams who meet that qualification as well. I'm not saying Michigan is uniquely exceptional in the energy they bring on court, match in, match out. But that is, of course, something a Coach Steinberg-led team prides themselves on. And, you know, for Coach Steinberg, who won a national championship, at Pepperdine, leaves that job to come here to Michigan. And, you know, I was there in 2018, round of 32, when we beat Notre Dame at home to clinch a spot in the Sweet 16. And, you know, I saw the tears in Coach Steinberg's face, what that meant to him. And then, you know, I was there in 2020 when Michigan, and this is where we start talking about this group, a group, you know, that was, uh, it was a slightly different nucleus, certainly, but, you know, a lot of the guys you see on this team, whether it was Andrew Fenty, Andre Styler, who were sophomore and freshman at the time but were the one and two singles on the 2020 team whether it's a Nick Beattie who you know was an incredible run to start that 2020 season and he's only playing three doubles right now but he's an, an crucial ingredient to this nucleus and he was a guy who was on that sweet 16 team so that connective thread to that group to where we are now but you know Beattie was on that team Maloney was on that team playing six singles at the time but he's still obviously now stepped up and been a massive contributor to this team that group that core nucleus those four guys. Again, Fenty, Styler, Beattie, Maloney. They reached a national indoor semifinal 
in 2020, prior to the COVID pandemic. I know it was a lifetime ago, but I was there when the team, you know, 4-3 dramatic comeback victory over Texas, uh, over Texas A&M, excuse me. And, you know, even to get to that national indoors round of 16, the wins they had over, I'm trying to remember, I know Ole Miss was one of them. I think Texas Tech was the other, but just the wins, you know, again, the 4-3 victories there to get to that moment and then to beat Texas A&M 4-3 and then to beat Texas, the defending NCAA champions who still had Ito and still had, you know, uh, Siskard, I think, yeah, at at the Siskard? No. Sondergaard? Sondergaard? I'm blinking. Anyways, to still have, you know, their top two from the national championship team returning. Wow, I'm really upset with myself. Hold on. Texas men's tennis, 2019 Texas men's tennis. Leave all of this in, Westoff. I need uh, to know right now who I am thinking of here because I know it's Christian. I'm just blanking on the last name, and it's it's either Sondergaard. I'm pretty sure it's Siskard, uh, but again, I'm, this is just shows you where my brain is at. This shows you what what's happened over these past couple of years, folks, but I'm pretty sure survey says and again, leave this all in. I'm sorry. Speaks to where my brain is at. You're better than this, Alex. I'm sorry all of you listeners have to go through this. We are almost done. It is Christian Siskard. See, I knew that's what it was. I was doubting myself. I apologize. So many names in college tennis. You try to remember them all. You're better than that, Alex. I apologize to you listeners. Hopefully Westoff cleaned that up a bit. But again, for this Michigan group to beat that Texas team in the quarterfinals, then to win doubles and four first sets against USC in that semifinal match, USC eventually goes on to beat Michigan and win the national indoor title in 2020. But that Michigan group felt like it was on the precipice of something. And after making the round of 16 in 2018, it felt like that group, that semifinal run, that was the breakout campaign. That was we built off the Sweet 16, we're ready to take things to the next level. And then the pandemic hits. And for the Big Ten in particular, the pandemic was brutal for men's tennis because last year, men's tennis and women's tennis, for whatever, you know, for what it's worth as well, were not able to play outside of the conference. They weren't able to play in the fall either. And for Michigan, who plays the kickoff weekend but ultimately isn't able to reach the final eight field, uh, you know, and neither is Ohio State. Now, Illinois goes on this spectacular run, and thankfully all three teams beat each other, so they get themselves a chance. But that was it, right? Because Michigan doesn't make the final eight at the national indoors, didn't get those three national matches, neither did the Buckeyes, and that really hurt Michigan in the rankings. And come the NCAA tournament, you look for the Wolverines, they head down to Kentucky, where right away they draw an Arizona team that knocks them off for, you know, what was it, 4-2 or 4-3, and just, you know, again, that Arizona team ultimately makes the Sweet 16. Their next match, I believe, was 4-3 as well against Kentucky, and just, you know, Michigan wasn't able to be a host seed, despite the fact that they were probably a top 16 team, or certainly would have been in the mix for it last season, had they been able to play a non-conference schedule, and, you know, you look for the Wolverines this year, as such, because they weren't, uh, you know, a national indoor team, because they didn't make the Sweet 16, they weren't a top 16 team in the rankings at the year end, uh, and as such, they were on the road once again for the kickoff weekend, they had to go to Wake Forest, and they played an excellent match and came really, really close to knocking off a Demon Deacons team that ends up going 2-1 and one at the National Indoors and is a top eight team in the country right now. Michigan loses that match 4-3 and, you know, they lose a match to Harvard 4-3 as well on the road in Boston and, you know, again, for this Michigan team, kept coming so close to earning a signature win, the sort of win they need to catapult back up the rankings, put themselves in a position where they can be a host site come the NCAA tournament, where they can be 
a host site for national indoors and as such be favored to advance to the final 16 field put themselves back in that mix covid really did not afford them at that opportunity because you know again for michigan kickoff weekend baylor comes to town and obviously they're not even able to play out that region but baylor was the number four seed in their region so baylor knocks off michigan first match of the kickoff weekend and so you know again they had that chance in 2020 but they draw the eventual national indoor and ncaa finalists and All of this is to say, I know this is a long rant, and I just gave you all the history of Michigan tennis, and hopefully for some of you non-college tennis fans, that passion you hear, that enthusiasm will perhaps inspire you to check out college tennis. Unfortunately for you, we at Crack Rackets have college tennis for all of you to watch. We have Big Ten broadcast, red zone coverage of teams like Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, etc. Each and every week throughout the rest of this college tennis regular season. Every Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we'll be covering the SEC every Friday on the various team websites as well. But point being, with all that history of Michigan men's tennis said, this team has been very close in the Steinberg era to just solidifying itself as one of those top 16 teams that is always hosting and is always making it to the, you know, the big fields and the final stages of the big event. But, but COVID really stopped their momentum. And for this Michigan team who, you know, again, loses a 4-3 match at Wake Forest, loses a 4-3 match at Harvard, for them to go on the road to TCU, to Fort Worth against the national indoor champions this season, a TCU team that beat Ohio State 4-3, a TCU team that beats Tennessee in the final, that beats Virginia, that beats everyone, you know, Texas, everyone they come up against, Sons one Tennessee match in the opening weekend of the season, and they go on the road and they beat that team outdoors. What a victory for the Wolverines and for Michigan to win the doubles point. And I apologize for, again, the pro tennis fans. I'm going to nerd out here from the college tennis perspective. For Michigan to take the doubles point after struggling in doubles throughout this dual match season. You know, Fenty and Aaron Schneider, sure, they're three and one. And, you know, we're four and two at the number two doubles position. Maloney and Beattie, Styler and Young, you know, three and four, though, at that three double spot. And as such, Coach Steinberg continues to shift things around. And today, it was a new number one doubles team. Andre Styler, Gavin Young, they step up. They beat the number five team in the country of Famba and Fernley, who I believe were all tournament team for the national indoors. They beat them outdoors, and I can't stress that enough. It's still snowing in Michigan. I cannot imagine there's been a lot of outdoor tennis played by these Wolverines through the first two months of this dual match season, you know, even in practice. And they beat the number five team on the road 6-2. Now, again, to t- uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the TCU side in a second. Beattie and Maloney, that's two veterans. That's two big hitters. To have that aggression at the number three spot, yeah, they're playing against a really good team in Aguilar and Vives, but you expect them to be able to hold serve throughout the way. They're able to ultimately do that. They get a 7-6 victory. They take the tiebreaker 7-3. Ace point, you know, ace out wide on the deuce side for the lefty Beattie, which epitomizes the sort of power tennis this team can play at three to clinch the victory. We executed perfectly in doubles. And credit to Sander Jong and Louis Maxted, who knock off Fenty and Aaron Schneider 6-4. And those are two top 15 teams in the rankings right now in the country. And I actually thought Fenty and Aaron Schneider played pretty well. Jong and Maxted are just clicking right now. And, you know, they're, they've lost one match as a pairing, I think, 9-1 and one overall on the season. And, you know, they go 3-1 and one at the National Indoors. And after getting bageled in their very first match of the weekend, they're clicking on all cylinders. But we out-executed. TCU, we, I got to stop doing that. Michigan out-executed TCU down the home stretch of the doubles. And, you know, again, for this TCU team, 
you could tell that, you know, obviously after a four consecutive days of playing and to win the National Indoors the way they did, you earn a couple of days off. And I know there was a snowstorm in Texas and they weren't really able to play outdoors. And, you know, again, still a lot of wear and tear on the bodies right now of this TCU team. Michigan's certainly the fresher of the two teams coming into this match. But Michigan came out swinging in the singles and you look in particular not only did Michigan win doubles they win four first sets and you got to talk about Jacob Bickerstaff who now has beaten Eduardo Nava this season who plays you know number three singles for Wake Forest but you know is probably going to end the year in their top two and is certainly a top 50 guy in the country and Bickerstaff beat him on the road at Wake he now goes on the road and knocks off your most outstanding player of the 2022 National Indoor Tournament Sander Jong now yes we were outdoors but Bickerstaff a two and one win the jump from the sophomore here in his second season in Ann Arbor has been one of the reasons this Michigan team is so promising this season because he's now five and one here in the dual match season, eleven and seven overall for the year. But again, that's a tough strength of schedule, eleven and seven. That's at the All American event and you know, big run for him at the regional as well. He's two and one at two singles, three and one at uh, now four and one, I believe, at three singles. I mean, again, two and one for Jacob Bickerstaff over Sander Jong. Just again, the the way he was able to move the ball out around the court and just not allow Jong to swing freely and just, you know, swing cleanly from the center of the court and dictate from the inside the baseline. Credit to Bickerstaff, who was the more competent outdoor player in this match. Credit to Patrick Maloney, who's always had the firepower. And he takes it to a guy who's been top 600 in the ATP rankings in Pedro Vives, the freshman, 6'4", 6'4". And, you know, Vives, the last time we saw him, he clinched a national championship as a freshman for TCU, three-set win over Angel Diaz of Tennessee. And, you know, again, Pedro Vives, very smooth, very well-rounded game, can turn defense into offense and likes to be six feet, you know, is comfortable playing six feet behind the baseline. But, you know, again, very much a counterpuncher. Maloney had too much punch for him, just punched through him, and again, was the one dictating, hitting the big forehands, using Vivez's patience against him, and taking his chances, swinging freely, played to win. He didn't, you know, again, he played on his terms. If I'm going to lose, I'm going to go down swinging, and it was one of those days for Maloney, and, you know, again, he's one of those swing players for the Wolverines. When he is healthy, you, know, you look for him 4-1 and one on the year. He just has the firepower to match, you know, match shots at this point of his career with just about anyone there when he plays his best. And he played his best today with the 4-4 win over Vivez. And then you look elsewhere. Even the matches that, you know, don't finish or even for Jake Fernley who smoked Shinsuke Mitsui. I know that second set was closer by the end, but, you know, Fernley beats the best freshman in the country to date, in my opinion, in Mitsui in that national indoor final and Gavin Young, who has been a revelation, the freshman, obviously son of Jeff Young, the former Minnesota men's tennis head coach. You look for Gavin Young this season, ten and one over, uh, sixteen and four overall, five and one in the dual match season. Now, you know, for him to take that second set and just stay alive because that was one of two sets, first sets that Michigan had dropped. And, you know, in the other first set that they drop, uh, you look for, oh, excuse me, Michigan drops three first sets. So it was a 3-3 split, not 4-2. And that's why what Maloney and Pickerstaff did was so impressive. But you look for Gavin Young, who takes the second set. Andrew Fenty's down 7-6-4-1. And Fenty, you know, who, when he plays his best, will hang with anyone, but certainly has some days where things are off. To match Luke Famba, shot for shot, to get the break back, seven six four one down, and take that second set, 
and stay alive and just not allow TCU to put any points on the board. Michigan gets up a quick 3-0 lead because they're the ones who solidify their first sets, and they're up 3-0 with doubles in that. And then, you know, again, credit, and I haven't, you know, Nino Aaron Schneider, 6-4, 4-all, ultimately takes the last two games of that set. He's 4-all in the third. He's hanging there with Louis Maxted, and Maxted, who, you know, was 2-0-1 at the National Indoors, you're hanging with one of the best freshmen in the country, and you're proving one of the best six singles players in the country as well. And then Andre Styler, who has not been healthy over the course of the past two years, and Styler was so good as a freshman, clinched just about everything for the Wolverines in that national indoor run, you know, you look for Styler, who was 2-2 two and two overall on the year coming into this match. For him to be up a set and a break on Juan Carlos Aguilar, then Aguilar gets that break back, takes the second set 6-4. Styler just kept swinging. And again, that's the sort of tennis he can play. Front foot dictating on his terms. When he plays well, he just can hang with anyone. And, he, you know, again, when he is focused and when he is healthy and playing his best tennis, his weapons are just disrupting. And they overwhelmed Aguilar. And ultimately, it took Aguilar so much energy just to come back and stay alive. And credit to this TCU team who down doubles, down two straight set victories, down a set and a break at two, and Fenty's coming back, and Young's coming back, and Aaron Schneider's coming back. They could have rolled over. They didn't. But, and that's why they're number one in the country. And that's why, again, this loss now, it just resets things. Now, if you're head coach, you know, David Roditi or, you know, uh, assist, associate, excuse me, head coach, Devin Bowen or, you know, your Derek Sadiki, any of these guys, now you get to reset. Now you get to refocus. Now you get to say, see, we can be beaten. We can't rest on our laurels. We have to get better, particularly outdoors. We have to get fit again as well. But if you're the Wolverines, who, according to the school, earned their first victory over the number one team since the rankings began in 96-97, now knowing the 80s teams like I do, my coach at Nagel played for some of them, the teams Dan Goldberg at Nagel, Melville, Washington, that were top 10 in the country, top six in the country at their best, making NCAA quarterfinals and right up there in the national indoors with anyone. I'm sure they would argue, no, we beat number one UCLA on the road or something like that. And I'm sure it's happened before in the past. There have been some very good Michigan teams. Uh, but this one in the modern era, again, this is the one where, yeah, there were some good teams, late 2000s, you know, that ran up against Virginia, I believe, in the round of 16 a couple of times. And certainly that 2018 team will always be near and dear to my heart, making the Sweet 16 the way that they did. But you know, this team last year gets a signature victory beating Ohio State. And given the context of the schedule, no non-conference matches, that was another step forward for the program. Now they earn a victory on the road, outdoors, against the number one team in the country. I know how much this means to Coach Steinberg. I can tell you as a Michigan alum and fan, um, yeah, this one feels good. Uh, it's always great to be a Michigan Wolverine. That's far too long on that match. I apologize. But now Chris and Matt didn't have to hear it. And again, this team just has depth. Like Aaron Schneider, the lefty, he can attack. He can be aggressive physically. He can hang. And that's what he did against Max. That Gavin Young, it's unconventional. It's not aesthetically perfect. It gets the job done. Maloney has weapons. Bickerstedt's a grinder. And then Styler and Fenty play big boy tennis. And they're veterans. And they're battle-tested. And the best version of Michigan has to have them play their best. That they go 1-0-1 against Styler and Fomba, against Aguilar and Famba, particularly with Fenty down a set in 4-1. The ingredients are there. This team has the depth. And again, 
Beatty's not playing right now in singles, and that's another card they can turn to on the roster. And I do think some of the other freshmen on this team, I know Coach Styler. Coach Tyler, Coach Steinberg's going to want to get them reps throughout the course of the year because he feels pretty good about their level and just I've, I like where this team is at and what you like best about this team. Maloney's a senior, but he could come back for another year. And Fenty's a senior, he could come back for another year. Certainly, this will be the last year of Nick Beatty, but this core can stay intact for another year as well. And again, you feel like if they were able to play a full conference, a non-conference schedule last year, maybe. They were would have been a top 16 team, made another Sweet 16, maybe even made a push for a quarterfinals just having been more callous throughout the course of the year. This team goes on the road after losing 4-3 at Harvard, losing 4-3 at Wake Forest. They beat TCU 4-1, and certainly TCU came out asleep out of the gate. And again, long-term, no worries for TCU. These sort of results happen. We saw what it looks like when they can play, and they prove they can play their best for four consecutive days in Seattle what a win for the Wolverines, who, according to Chris Hallioris, will move into the top 16 of the rankings with this victory, which is back where they belong. And you look for the Big Ten now. Ohio State's top five. Michigan and Northwestern are top 20. Yeah, Illinois is not having a great season, but you know those three teams now— well, first of all, unless Michigan and Ohio State run, just run the table, those three teams— are all in play for top 16 seed. And yeah, Northwestern's had some matches canceled, which hurts their claim. But if they get a win over Michigan or they get a win over an Ohio State, now you, you again, the Big Ten is back in the mix. Illinois needs to get their stuff together, but they're going to play TCU on Saturday at home in a home match at a, on a Saturday night in the Atkins Tennis Center. It's going to be my first experience with that as I'll be in person calling that match for the university. Oh, boy. Oh boy, TCU going to have to regroup and God, it's they may take it out on Illinois, but I mean again, Illinois is going to come out fighting, they're going to come out swinging. It's a Saturday night primetime match. Coach Dancer always has the guys ready for those sorts of affair. If you're not watching college tennis, you really need to be. And again, we re- recap all the Division One women's action thir- uh, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Men is our Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. On our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Again, that's the women, Tuesday, 9 p.m., men's Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. With that said, introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Maybe some of you skipped through that portion of the podcast. Maybe me sharing the story of Michigan men's tennis just isn't the content you're interested in, and I do apologize for that fact. But you got to indulge me, folks. We do this podcast at least 300 times a year. You know, again, I get one. I get one of those 300. I'm still taking what? What's one divided by 300? It's like a third of a percent. Uh, yeah, give me a third of a percent. For I get one third of a percent of these podcasts. You get one from me. It's one segment for me. Anyways, let's get to the WTA action happening in Mexico. And I stalled perfectly as I believe, you know, all of our matches now going to get underway there. And, you know, I'm recording this here Wednesday around six-ish, whatever time that is. I'm, I could look at it, but I've got the full tabs up. Anyways, point being 
It's going to be a really fun round of 16 day at the action in Monterey. And just where things are at, you look at the players we have that are still alive in, you know, Layla Fernandez, your number two seed. She's got an interesting match against Chinwen Zhang, who's played really well to start the season, hits the ball so big. But you look for Layla Fernandez. I mean, I believe she's the defending champion here in Mexico. And, you know, you look for Fernandez to start her season. I don't think she's been bad by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, outside of Australia, we really haven't seen that much of Fernandez. And, in fact, this is her first match since uh, – or second match, excuse me, after her first-round victory 2-2 two and two over Smadova since playing that Australian Open, losing first round to Madison Inglis. And, you know, you look for Fernandez, who obviously has those U.S. Open final points at the end of the season to rely on, but she's defending the title here in Monterey. And, you know, last year was wins over Golubic, Saros, Ribes, Tormo, which I think both aged really well throughout the course of the season. It's going to be interesting to see Fernandez's level. I thought she served well in her first match. Certainly, she made 70% of her first serves, won 75% of those points, was measured in an hour and eight minute straight set victory. But, you know, Zhang's going to be, bring more firepower than Shmadova was. And I think from a confidence perspective, you know, in recent form, Zhang is just playing better than Shmadova was. So that's going to be interesting to see Fernandez going. And again, sunshine and swing coming up. Obviously, do they see... Past, I think they seed past 20. Um, no, that, do they seed past 20? I don't know. But will she be seeded? Will she not be seeded? That's a good question. Point being, you know, for Layla Fernandez now, the, she goes into the sunshine swing with some expectations. People are going to be watching her because she's coming off of that U.S. Open final. And Emma Raducanu right now, not the healthiest. And so, you know, naturally some attention is going to be deflected from Raducanu onto Fernandez. And it's going to be interesting to see how she performs. Certainly going to get some matches under her belt before then. Good decision by her team. Surprised she didn't play last week, but you know maybe it is a health issue for her. And I know she has been nursing various things since Australia. Uh, but Fernanda's good first win. Going to be interested to see her tested here in match number two. And you look right now, Layla Fernandez, your number two seed. 18.3% chance, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, to ultimately win the tournament. She's your number two favorite behind Alina Svitolina, your number one seed, a 32.5% favorite. And you look for Svitolina, first-round victory, 2-1 and one, over, in my opinion, the always dangerous Anastasia Potapova, one of those young Russians you just forget, uh, hits the ball big and when she's clicking, especially on that backhand wing. Is it exciting? But a 2-1 and one victory for her. Now she's got Victoria Tomova. And, I mean, you look for Alina Svitolina, She's been pretty solid over the last 52 weeks, 36-21 and 21 overall, 63% win percentage. And you look for her last season, she ultimately has a 67.2% win percentage, 41-20 and 20 last year. And, you know, you look at the numbers for her, she ends up holding serve 74.5% of the time. That was actually a career high, but her 31.9% break percentage was a career low for her, at least, you know, since she really started playing full-time WTA Tour level matches and you look for her this season, you know, in with context, yeah, the three-set loss to Gasanova in Adelaide 1, that was disappointing. The 2-4 and four loss in round 1 to Madison Keys in Adelaide 2 was disappointing at the time. But then Madison Keys goes on to make the Australian Open semifinals and, what, win 10 or 11 consecutive matches, whatever it was. So with context, that loss certainly has appreciated. She loses an 0-2 match against Vika in the third round where Vika blitzed her. Uh, but, you know, again, for her wins over Sharif, loses 6-2 to Jill Teichman in Dubai. 
that's fine. The three-set loss tomorrow in Sova in Doha, that one certainly hurts. And so now you look for, again, Svitolina needs to get her season reset here as we head into that sunshine swing. And you look for her last year in Monterey was a first-round loss to Kaya Yuvan. So certainly an opportunity to pick up points. I mean, the key thing for her, you look after that and at the start of April after this sunshine swing, Bogota last year, uh, or excuse me, you look for uh, Svitolina last season. Excuse me, she didn't lose first round here. Uh, you look for... Uh, yeah, she didn't play this event last season. My bad, folks. Uh, but leave it in. You look for her last season. You know, the big thing for her, semifinals Miami la- uh, last year. And so she's got those points to defend coming up. And then semifinals Stuttgart as well. Quarterfinals Rome. You know, significant chunks of points for Svitolina, who you look right now is 15 in the world. That's slower than she's been for quite a bit of time. Uh, obviously, for Alina Svitolina, at the end of last season, she makes that U.S. Open quarterfinal run. So she's got those points she's sitting on at the end of the year. And, you know, you look for her last season. Uh, outside of that U.S. Open run, yeah, Tokyo semifinals, but there are no points there. She wins that title in Chicago. She's got some points to sit on, but... It is so competitive to be a top 20 player, let alone a top 10. And if she wants to get back into that top 10 mix, you know, a title here in Monterey would certainly be a way to get things started. But, man, I really hope she gets to match up with Camila Osorio as you look for Kami, the 20-year-old from Colombia, former world junior number one, now 44 in the world. That's a new career high. She's been playing just better and better with each passing uh, month. And, you know, again, you look for her to start this month. Guadalajara, she makes the quarterfinals, wins over Tomova and Babs. Before getting knocked out by Anna Kalinskaya, four and what she bounces back this week, three and six victory over Magdalena Freak. She's uh, Freak. She's now has Mar- uh, Marcella Zacharias in the second round. I mean, you look for Osorio. She just returns so well, and the break percentage obviously last season forty four point eight. If projected amongst top fifty players, would be a top ten sort of number. Uh, and you look for Maria Camila Osorio uh, Serrano right now. In terms of break percentage, Kami Osorio ranks, uh, I believe, let's see, two, four, six, eight, ninth. Yeah, she's ninth amongst top fifty players in break percentage over the last fifty two weeks. Speaks to her success as a returner of serve, but you know the hold percentage has struggled 47 uh, 57.6 for her last season that's you know again a bottom five sort of number and you look for her this year that she started off at 71.7 percent again it's very small sample size she's played like six matches so far this year but you see her getting more aggressive not only with the serve but more importantly with the plus one ball taking more chances and just you know a little bit more solid with the footwork a little bit more accustomed to the quicker speeds of these hard courts She's someone who can do a little bit of everything, whether it's the drop shots, the short angles, early on the rise, moving forward, smooth mover, not the most explosive, but reads the game extraordinarily well, very explosive as a hitter, doesn't have upper tier power, but it's Kenan-esque in the variety that she brings. That's probably the best comp you would have for Kami Osorio. And by the way, at AL Gruskin, do you like that camp uh, comp, Kami Osorio? in the Sonia Kennan sort of camp of tennis players, really well-rounded skill set, does a little bit of everything, absorbs and redirects pop pretty well. Again, athletically, I don't think she's quite where she needs to be to be a top 20, top 10 threat, but she continues to get closer and closer and, again, just reads the game so well. Such great instincts. So very excited to see her play, and that would be a potential quarterfinal date between her and Svitolina. The other players you'd keep an eye on, if I were you this week, Beatrice Haddad Maya, who's been so good in her comeback, you know, was suspended, obviously, uh, 
by uh, for I think it was PEDs if memory serves me correct and you know rip through you know she's 70 and 24 over her last 52 weeks so many ITF matches she played to build her ranking back up a 74% win percentage but you look for her now you know gets the win uh, makes the second round of the Australian Open and you know last year the big one was the round of 16 where she beat Pliskova to, at Indian Wells and you know you look for her last year just so many ITF matches and now she's playing WTA level matches so one win and she's gaining points compared to where she was last year it's all free picking for her and you know she gets a win over Pada Udvardi in round one she is a very interesting match now against Shin Yu Wang here today the talented uh, woman from China earns a two and one win over Ann Lee, and she's been playing excellent over these last fifty-two weeks as well. Those are two informed players who are on the rise of on the ITF circuit now, getting their chance to play WTA level action, both inside the top one hundred. Expect big hitting in that one. Haddad Maya again, the lefty in this atmosphere and these conditions in Mexico, just the altitude brings out the best in her game. So that's an interesting quarter. As the winner of that plays the winner of Buskova Martich, Buskova finalist last week and just physically she's back she's healthy she's confident she's swinging a little bit more freely trying to generate some more power to make points a little bit easy for herself but again i think across the board this is a pretty deep draw and yes fidelina fernandez i would say osorio and probably sarah cerebus tormo who by the way is your third favorite according to tennis abstract 11.8 percent chance of winning physically and results wise they are ahead of the field but you know, again, I think Haddad Maia is playing really well. Buskova is certainly playing better than her ranking right now. Maya Sharif playing better than her ranking. I didn't bring up number 16 seed Nuria Perez Diaz, who's certainly put up some big results of late. It's, it's it's a pretty deep draw, and Svitolina's not playing well enough. Fernandez hasn't played enough to make them, you know, comprehensive or considerable favorites at this point. But, you know, again, we'll keep our eyes on that event. That's WTA event number one happening in Mexico. WTA event number two, of course, is happening over in France. And you look at the draw in Lyon this week. We've already had an upset on our hand. Top seed Camila Georgie knocked out by Caroline Garcia. Boy, did Garcia need that win. A five seven six four six love victory uh, over Georgie. The big thing to watch: a couple of things. A. Serana Kirstea is pa- uh, chase towards the top twenty. You look for Kirstea right now in the live ranking. She's number twenty eight overall. She earned a three and one win over Bulkvadadze, then a three and five win over Stephanie Vogel. Uh, Vogel, excuse me, to get to the quarterfinals of this event. She is currently number twenty eight in the live rankings. If she wins this event, she only uh, she moves all the way up, excuse me, to number 21 in the live rankings. And you look for Serana Kirstea, the results she's had over the last 52 weeks, 28 and 20 overall. But that includes a round of 16 in Roland Garros, a third round at Wimbledon, second round U.S. Open, fourth round at this year's Australian Open. She also made the finals in Strasbourg last year, won the title in Istanbul. Those are April and May results. Didn't, uh, you know, have a big run in Miami, lost second round, three sets to Annette Conteve, and you look for her Indian Wells last year, lost second round to Alina Svitolina, or third round technically, I suppose. Um, Point being, she earns three wins in the Sunshine Swing, four wins even at the Sunshine Swing. She could find herself in the top 20 for the first time in her career, and her career high ranking is number 21, but for Kirstea, 31 years old, 32 at the start of April, to reach a career high? Are you kidding me? Absolutely a storyline for people to be watching this week in France. Some other players to keep an eye on, number three seed Victoria Golovic, three-set win over Mai Huntama. She hasn't played great 
to start the year. But you look at this draw with Georgie knocked out on the top half. Shui Zhang, you know, is around. Aranksa Roos, they're both playing pretty well. But from a firepower perspective, you feel like Golubic can hit through them. Then, you know, again, one of Garcia Trevisan or Ali Van Utvank uh, in your, a potential semifinal. This feels like a very open draw for Golubic uh, to make a move here. And then you look at the bottom half again for Kirstea. She's had some upsets. Number 16, Anna Konya, knocked down the first round by Katie Bolter. She's now going to place Anna Bondar, who gets a 6-3 retirement victory over Bolter. Uh, you've got Jasmine Paulini taking on Tamara Korpach uh, in round of 16, match number one. And then, obviously, a fantastic story, wildcard Diana Yastremska, who fled Ukraine after the Russians invaded her home country over the course of the past week, fled with her sister, now playing this event this week week. Obviously, thoughts to her, her family, all of the people in Ukraine suffering right now. Uh, and it obviously continues to be hard to even think about the tennis when something like that is happening. But for Yastrzemska to earn a 3-6-7-6-7-6 victory, I mean, even Anna Bogdan talked about the moment of that match and what it meant for her to compete in it. But credit to Yastrzemska. I mean, again, given everything she's gone through over the past year off the court, I think we can all feel some empathy, some sympathy, and some excitement for her in earning this victory. You look at uh, via our friends at Tennis Abstract. Right now, the favorite to win the title, Serana Kirstea, 26%. Then Ali Van Utvenk, actually, 18%. Yastremska is still at 175 Then you get Golubic, 9.4%. Paulini, 8.7%. Garcia, 72 I mean, hey. Numbers never lie. Yastrzemska, maybe she makes a run here. What a story that would be for all of us here in tennis. But that's your action here on Wednesday across levels in the tennis world. Again, no ATP events, no ATP challengers as we all get ready for the Sunshine Swing, Indian Wells, and Miami to begin. Your two WTA events in Mexico and France are going on this week. And then, of course, as always, there's college tennis happening across the country. You can follow some of that action, tune into it Fridays on SEC team websites as we have our SEC Red Zone coverage on Sunday. Tune into our YouTube channel as our Crack Rackets Red Zone coverage of our Big Ten matches uh, continues there. Of course, for all the content, head on over to the website, crackrackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, our YouTube channel, to ensure that you don't miss out on anything. I had an awesome conversation with Showtime co-creator, show uh, super pumped co-creator as well, uh, Brian Koppelman, super tennis fan, uh, to join us on the show. And we talk about all sorts of things. It was, it was a really fun time. And obviously, as a longtime fan of his work, uh, certainly a little bit starstruck throughout the course of that interview. But all that content available on the website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, the immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at A.L. Gruskin. A shout out as always to the super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a been at any job to do. And again, send our love to the Westoff family this weekend as they welcome a new member to the team. Shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well, who we know have our backs, are on our team. If you'd like to get anything from a tennis equipment standpoint, go to their website, tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. With all that said, for my fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.